Welcome to the Transforming Lives Podcast, where we celebrate how God is at work in the hearts and minds of individuals and families whose lives have been transformed by excellent Christ-centered education. I am your host, Dr. Andy Goodwin, and it is my honor to share these inspiring stories for your encouragement and for the advancement of the kingdom. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Transforming Lives podcast. I am honored to be here today with Dr. Phil Riken, the president of Wheaton College in Illinois. Phil is the son of Christian literary scholar and Wheaton professor Leland Riken. Phil met his wife, Lisa, while the two were students at Wheaton. They have five children. Dr. Riken received his Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and Philosophy from Wheaton College. He also completed a Master of Divinity, Westminster Theological Seminary, and his Doctor of Philosophy in Historical Theology from University of Oxford. He is the author of multiple books, including Art for God's Sake, A Call to Recover the Arts, Written in Stone, The Ten Commandments, and Today's Moral Crisis, The Doctrines of Grace, Rediscovering the Evangelical Gospel, and Discovering God in Stories from the Bible. Interest, Dr. Riken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. And I, I'll say about your introduction, it certainly wasn't too short. So, oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a big buildup. It's great to have a conversation with you and, and with your listeners. We're really glad to have you and participate in the conversation about what God is up to through Christ-centered education, pre-K all the way through uh, 16, if you will, and well beyond. I want to jump into our questions that we always start with. First of all, what is true and good and beautiful in your life? I love that question because it's easy to look at all the things that are ugly and broken and false in a fallen world. But there's so many good, true, beautiful things we can see every day. I'll give you two true, good, and beautiful things in my life right now. And they are Elizabeth Martha and Anna June Riken, age three and age one, respectively. My granddaughters are not always good, it has to be said, <laughs> but they bring new beauty into the world and help me see God's truth in a fresh way. Children of any age are an amazing gift and give us a capacity to see the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God. That's amazing. Congratulations on being able to enjoy them. And are, do you get to uh, see them often? Not often enough, but we, <laughs> we FaceTime. We live in Wheaton. They live in Denver. Anytime I'm anywhere west of Wheaton, I try to make sure I go through Denver on the way. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you for that. So one passage of scripture that you have dwelled on lately, what does it say and how is it speaking to you? I've got my Bible open in front of me, Andy, and I'm just going to read the second half of Matthew 2, verse 6, which is a promise of God. It's a promise that comes from the book of Micah and a promise that came to mind with the coming of Christ into the world. And it says of Bethlehem, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's an amazing promise for the people of God of leadership, of shepherding care. And the Bible often compares us to sheep and not always in very flattering ways. Mm -hmm. Sheep have a way of wandering. 
way of getting off track. They're very needy and dependent. So it's wonderful if you're in that situation to have a loving, caring, self-sacrificing, guiding, rescuing shepherd. And that's the promise of God to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Fantastic. So I recall seeing an interview with you that you were talking about how the role that you're in is an amazing role, a beautiful role, but not an easy role. And I'm wondering how you came to the Wheaton community in this particular role. And if you could explore the beauty and the challenge of it. Yeah, thank you. And I'm glad you truncated the question because my story with Wheaton College begins when I was one year old. So we can get into that later if we want to. But I came to Wheaton 14 years ago. So it's it's not a brief time uh, by this point. It feels like a longer time. Um, I've got a lifelong love affair with Wheaton College students. Uh, The people I wanted to emulate and be like when I was growing up were Wheaton students, energetic, fun, interested in interesting topics like literature, fun to be with, and also spiritually minded in ways that were formational for me. So I fell in love with Wheaton students when I was a small boy. And this is one of the few callings that I would be fully open to, and that is providing leadership for Wheaton College in this role, which I view, frankly, as a form of gospel ministry. And yeah, it's super challenging. I don't don't think anybody thinks college presidents have an easy job. Decades and decades ago, Peter Drucker said that college or university president was one of the three toughest jobs in America. And it's gotten a lot tougher since he said that. Um, (laughs) Financial challenges, cultural pressures, enrollment challenges that are going to become acute, just demographically, they're going to become acute in the coming decade. So lots of challenges. I think the biggest challenge for anyone in Christian education is to stay on Christ-centered mission. That's always the biggest challenge. And all those other challenges, the cultural pressures, the financial challenges, the real threat with those is not so much the thing itself. But the um, temptation to veer off your mission in order to solve certain problems. I think that's always the toughest challenge in Christ-centered education. One thing that helps me a lot is people at Wheaton College know our mission. They know that we're for Christ and his kingdom. They know we are here to serve Jesus Christ and advance his kingdom through excellence in liberal arts programs that educate the whole person to build the church and benefit society worldwide. And when you have that strong sense of mission, people can reinforce that and say, hey, that's on our mission. That's not on our mission. So that helps as a primary leader in facing those challenges. Yeah. So excellence then is a word that shows up in a lot of Christ-centered education missions and ought to. And I wonder if you could explore what that means, how that manifests, and If I could color it just a little bit more, how you speak to your students about excellence versus perhaps achievement and self-worth. Yeah, so that's a great question. We are not ashamed of the word excellence. In fact, the word excellence is in Wheaton's mission statement. There are a lot of things I like about the word. One of them is that it is a standard. It sets a standard to strive for. But it is not particularly a comparative standard relative to other institutions, for example. We don't need to try to say we're better than somebody else. We just want to say we want to strive for excellence in a God-honoring way. 
One of the things I think is characteristic about Wheaton is you bump into excellence in a lot of different areas. Excellent teaching, excellent research, excellent chapel worship through music, excellent athletics, excellent theater. And there are temptations and pressures that go along with that. One is to mistake excellence for perfection. Excellence is different from perfection. Another temptation is simply to base your self-worth on whether you achieve excellence or not. Our, our worth fundamentally is based on the fact that we are created in the image of God. But just because God has done a work of goodness and grace in our lives, that's the very reason why we want to offer something as excellent as it can be in return. I remember a conversation I had with my son one time. He was getting bees in school regularly and for the most part. And I said to him, I have no problem with you being a B student for the glory of God, if that is what excellence is for you. Unfortunately, <laughs> you and I both know you're actually an A student that's masquerading as a B student right yeah. now. But also sometimes there needs to be a, a call to excellence, which is not what justifies us before God. But the Bible says we have an excellent God in so many different ways, and we want to live into that. Yeah, that's good. I, I was just having a conversation uh, with someone about uh, their initial experience with Christian education, and they had a, a distaste for it initially because they experienced particular institutions being Christian in name, but mediocre in product. Could you explore a little bit more why excellence matters ultimately upon graduation and into the workforce in other contexts? There are a lot of times in different ways in the Christian community. We have a way of counting on Christian piety to make up for a lack of excellence. Mm. So where some Christian organizations aren't as well run as they ought to be simply on sound business principles. And yes, we are trusting God to provide. That doesn't mean we can't be excellent in our human resources and in our fundraising. Like we can be excellent in all of those things. I, I do think you can only be excellent within your context with the resources that you have. So sometimes, whether it's a church or it's a school or whatever it is, there are things that you would like to do, you simply are not able to do because you do not have the gifts, the people, the financial resources or whatever. But you can always grow and you can always make the very best use of the resources you have. Be the very best teacher that you can be in that classroom. And I think as God sees faithfulness, he entrusts resources to those who are faithful so it is often the case that if we're prayerful, things will grow. Wheaton College is a super interesting example of that. When this college was founded in 1860, people had no money, no students, no faculty, no building. Oh, wow. All they had was a vision. And that's the way most churches start, the way most Christian colleges and universities start, the way most Christian schools start. You've got a vision. You don't have the resources to live up to that vision. But you can do what you can with what you have, and that's really faithfulness in that is your primary calling. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, things will really be blessed and really grow. So that's a little bit about just this topic of striving for the excellence that as much as we can. And we do need excellence because the better, first of all, 
when you are truly excellent at something, you have a credibility that carries over into other messages that you want to convey. I, I don't know that a surgeon that's a poor surgeon is going to be a very good Christian witness beyond the medical, but also in the spiritual. No, we need to be excellent. And that creates a platform for what we want to communicate. Yeah, those are a few thoughts on, I think, a really important topic. Why is it important to be excellent? It's because it's God honoring and because the students that come through, through a truly excellent school will make the full impact in the world for Jesus Christ that someone with their gifts that can make. And if they are not trained in an excellent way, they'll fall short of that high calling. Yeah. Sometimes in Christian school contexts, uh, there are expectations beyond just excellence from within, especially the idea of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian thinker, what Christians should think about and do and how that should manifest. And so when we say for Christ and his kingdom, that ought to resonate with many. But I would imagine that it's also a challenge to understand and maybe meet expectations of those who, who have uh, different Christian traditions. How does that sure. show up? Yeah, no. And I think each school, and it's true for churches as well, you have to have some decisions to make. What is our theological commitment? What are our moral commitments? And to be very public and transparent about what those are. In the case of Wheaton, we have been an interdenominational institution since the 1860s. So for a long, long, long time, this hasn't been a place for people from one evangelical tradition, but from Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican, Congregational, all of these different traditions. I have a lot of respect for institutions that are more focused confessionally. They come from a particular evangelical tradition, and that's a wonderful kind of institution to be, particularly for local churches, but it can also be for colleges, universities, Christian schools. I love the mission of Wheaton because there's an amazing learning that can take place when we are rubbing shoulders with Christians from other traditions. And by and large, there are going to be some things that they understand a little better about the scriptures than we do or are better at putting into practice than we are. And there's a learning opportunity there. It may reinforce our love for our own tradition, mm -hmm. but it also hopefully gives us a more charitable disposition for people from other Christian traditions. And I think we become healthier Christians through that interaction and engagement because we're drawing on the resources from the church more broadly. We're receiving more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I love the kind of institution that Wheaton is. And people have every right to go to the school and support the institution that they think reflects their theological convictions. But those are some things that are important to us. And of course, we've got a statement of faith. We have covenant promises that we make to one another about how we're going to live the Christian life. And we're public about those things and try to hold ourselves accountable to those things so people know this is the kind of school it is and these are the convictions. I had the pleasure of being at a chapel uh, where uh, the, all the faculty was recommitting uh, publicly to that. Is that a yearly tradition? And why did you all start that? Yeah, so it, it's we've gone through an interesting, every, every school, even secular schools, have some kind of code of conduct policies that you have to follow. We have called our core commitments different things over the years that I think show over time a maturing understanding of the gospel and of how to live out the Christian faith. So we used to have something we called the statement of responsibilities. 
which for sure lent itself to more legalistic understandings, less grace-oriented understanding of how we live out the Christian faith. What we have now is a community covenant. So the emphasis is on something that we do as a community. It's not just individual conduct, although being part of a community makes claims on us individually. And we've chosen the biblically resonant word covenant. That's a promise we make to one another before God. And if you look at covenants in scripture, they tend to be renewed and repeated over time, particularly in the context of worship. So in recent years, it has become our practice. We have other ways that we annually, individually recommit to our community covenant, but we now do it in public worship. It tends to be a, a joyful experience. And we do that in other contexts as well. The board of trustees every year as trustees, my cabinet, once a year or so, we go through and we renew our, our promises and commitments to one another in the context of worship. And I, I think that's deeply biblical. Okay. As you commit to that as a community leadership, faculty, staff, there are also expectations from either those who are sending their students there or others observing Wheaton as a, a Christian institution. We seem to stop short of listening fully. And we're looking for stated positions as perhaps permission to continue in a relationship or defining what type of relationship we're going to have. How does Wheaton approach responsible, charitable dialogue among Christians? Yeah, such a super tough question right now. One thing, by the way, it's a practice we have and People wanted to look at this, they could learn some things about Wheaton, but it could be a model for others as well. We have a, a page on our website that just shares our institutional commitments. It's got our theological commitments, it's got our moral commitments, but it also has, here is our commitment in terms of liberal arts education. Here is how we understand uh, the equality of men and women uh, as created in the image of God. Here is our understanding of sexuality in a biblical context. If you want to know what those convictions are, they're in a place where they're uh, easy to get a hold of. We're having a terrible time listening to one another in the Christian community. We're having a terrible time with gossip, just lots of things that the New Testament uh, speaks to. We're having a terrible time with Christian unity, which the New Testament puts an incredibly high value on. It's just core um, for the people of God. And particularly on a campus where we draw from all over the country and all over the world, from all of these evangelical traditions, this is an opportunity for us, but it's also um, a challenge for us. Some of the things that help, it really helps when faculty model how to listen well and how to cultivate student dialogue and give students a model for how to connect with one another. It helps us when we lean into, rather than backing away from, hard conversations. I don't know that we do a particularly good job of that at Wheaton, but yeah. that's what we want to encourage. Okay. I like to just personally, I like to make statements in conversations that try to lower the temperature of a dialogue so that people actually can hear one another. So I love being able to say in a conversation, that is so interesting. My first inclination is to disagree with you, but I want to hear a little bit more. Here's a question to make sure I understand. So all of, we already know, okay, we disagree about something, but we're going to still talk about it and we're going to ask questions and I'm listening to you and all, you know, it's not as hard sometimes as we make it, but, and I think a lot of the social media where we respond physiologically and emotionally and mentally before we respond reflectively and prayerfully, 
just really gets in the way of that kind of dialogue. Yeah. Okay. If I may draw us into just why Christian education, a lot of options out there from, from pre-K through college, why Christian education? So it's a great question. I'll just preface it by saying, I think decisions about education for parents, at least in my experience, it's a prayerful decision pretty much every year for every child for all kinds of reasons. You may need to trust God's provision, think about how your children are wired, what they actually need for their preparation. I am not a person who says all Christians should only send their kids to Christian schools in all circumstances. That's not my view. However, having said that, our entire family life has been built around Christian education. I mentioned earlier, I came to Wheaton College when I was one year old. That's because my father had a tenure track teaching opportunity to research one university, long-term opportunity to teach English. He turned it down to come to Wheaton for one year as a visiting professor because he believed in Christian education. He wanted to be in this kind of context, even if it was only for a year. He ended up teaching more than 50 years. And over the years, uh, my wife, Lisa, and I, we have been to Christian schools, elementary, high school, college. I, I went to public high school, but my wife went to Christian high school. We've been on multiple school boards in Philadelphia and Wheaton. We've had lots of opportunities to be involved in Christian education. I, I believe that Jesus Christ is creator God, and we cannot have a full, true understanding of anything without understanding its divine purpose, Hmm. what God made it for, and also what its destiny is in the new heavens and the new earth. So there's something about secular education that is always going to be incomplete and often going to be mistaken in its understanding of the fundamental purpose of things. And I think it's really beautiful when Christians are studying in the deepest possible way, the mysteries of the universe and of human people and of the arts and all of those things, in ways that are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As somebody who is deeply curious, I wanna understand things as completely as I can. And I know I can only do that if I understand something in Christ-centered perspective. And it's wonderful to be in a a community context where people can teach me those things. I also think I could go on on this topic, Andy, for many long hours. I'll just say this one further thing, that the personal formation that can take place when we are in communities where we are learning, studying, teaching, worshiping, playing, eating, maybe even living together, that formative experience um, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other human beings is the best way to prepare leaders. And it's the most complete way to become a human person who is recreated in the image of Jesus Christ. So those are some of the things that I think are powerful about Christian education. Yeah, very important considerations for those who may be looking at one or the other. Lots of of school choice happening around the country. And so I appreciate your insight into the worth and power of engaging education from a Christ-centered perspective. Let me just add one brief thing to that. Yes. I so often hear parents at Wheaton say something that I think is true of Christian education generally. This is worth what we are investing in it. My own parents made big sacrifices to send three children on one limited salary to Christian school from, in my case, from junior kindergarten through eighth grade. 
And it had an impact on our family life in other ways. None of my sisters nor I would trade even one year of what we had in Christian education. It's just such a valuable investment. And that may be more clearly on the backside, but you have to believe it on the front end. Yeah, I've gotten to witness enough of good stories of people recognizing how God is the God of the long view. And that investment is always going to be worth it. I'm glad that's been true in your case. So if I could, this might be the most unfair question to ask because it asks for just one. And I see uh, behind you there a lot of different books. It's probably not nearly the entirety of the collection and the ones. And there it is. (laughs) Wow. Quite, Quite a few. And so one book that you think everyone should read. I'm not going to complain about the question, Andy. I'm sure you've got lots of conversation partners that can't limit it to one or tell you why it can't be one for quite everyone, but I'm just going to let it rip. And I'm going to give a title that probably nobody else is going to give. And that is the book To End All Wars by Ernest Gordon, which is a phenomenal first-person account of his experience as a Japanese captive in World War II. This is a famous incident because it was the camp that was on the River Kwai that built the famous bridge on the River Kwai. It is an amazing story of God's faithfulness and perseverance and especially of the power of forgiveness. It's a wonderful book. It's not an especially long book. And it is not so graphic or horrific that you couldn't um, give it to an elementary student, I would say. Uh, You might want to, as a parent, preview it. But a book that almost everyone should read. To End All Wars by Ernest Gordon. Really appreciate that recommendation. And I'm very grateful that you would be on the Transforming Lives podcast. Great to talk to you, Phil. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. The Transforming Lives podcast is a production of Covenant Christian High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. To discover more about minds enlightened, hearts inflamed, and lives transformed, visit our website at covenantchristian.org.